Hey there, Dr. P calling in from the road into the podcast, and we are going to do an encore presentation of the interview I did with my brother around 5Sing your facility. And I'm republishing this episode because I'm on the road and I've had some really great deep conversations with my clients about lean management, 5Sing facilities, and how to get leader standard work into your everyday work life. And this is actually a lot of what we're going to be covering in the power group in the new year. And I just finished writing the February workbook and it's amazing and it's all about leadership and teamwork. So let me know if you want to join up with that power group because it's pretty awesome. And uh, but this episode is an interview I did with my brother back in May over Memorial Day weekend. And it really brings home all the, you know, the basic concepts of implementing 5S and Lean in your food manufacturing facility. So listen up, we're publishing the double episode. So it was, uh, we we broke the episode up when we first published it into two weeks, but we're going to publish the whole thing this week. So if you didn't catch it then, you can catch it now. And as always, feel free to ask questions on the Proofing Box Facebook page. Join us if you're not already there. And next week, we'll be back on the page doing the uh, podcast as a Facebook Live with Office Hours. So I love you all and have a week full of awesome. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. All righty. Hello, my fellow foodpreneurs. Thank you so much for joining us. And we have a huge treat for you today on the podcast because I have my brother here. Now, I know none of you know who my brother is, and that is to your detriment because my brother is an amazing guy. And I don't know what you guys talk about around the kitchen table, but when my brother and I get together, we um, might talk about lean manufacturing because we're just that much fun. (laughs) (laughs) And so I uh, recorded a lean manufacturing podcast. I think it's episode 22. And Charlie, my brother, came uh, and said, Michelle, that was such a great podcast. And I had the brilliant idea that he and I would actually do a deeper dive into lean manufacturing. And so with that, let me introduce my brother. So I have on the podcast here with me today, Mr. Charles Wartonted Third, And Charlie, my brother, is one amazing uh, in many, many respects. He's, he's an amazing dad of three and he's an amazing husband. He got his undergraduate degree in performance of the baritone horn. The, the possibly most <laughs> practically useless degree I could find, but fun, a lot of fun. Well, at least you didn't train as a monkey veterinarian. (laughs) (laughs) He then went to work in manufacturing at uh, a plant in New Fairfield, Connecticut called Druck. And Druck got butt out by GE. And then GE moved my darling brother deep into the heart of Texas, where I was afraid I was going to lose him forever. And I did not, thank heavens. But... My brother, while uh, in Texas, took the opportunity to go get his MBA from Rice University with a concentration in supply chain management, right? Uh, More finance, but um, 
but I ended up staying in supply chain because I was good at that. Right, right. And so Charlie and I really have lots of conversations about people like Edward Deming and Peter Drucker and, <laughs> and, and and those sorts of things because you know we both work in 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 manufacturing oddly enough because our dad didn't work in manufacturing our, our, our and our mom worked in insurance and so you know we and we both came into manufacturing because it's a place where we can both really bring our talents and one of the things that my brother is just amazingly talented at is seeing the systems that make manufacturing manufacturing better. I mean, specifically around supply chain and supply chain management, but he has a depth and breadth of knowledge of manufacturing that few people can really rival. And it's always so much fun to have a conversation with him. And so on the podcast, I wanted you guys to benefit from the conversations that we have around our kitchen table when Charlie and I get to get to uh, be together. And so with that, we're going to start the interview. I do want to tell you between the two of us, we have six kids. And so we're keeping it real folks. Uh, so if we have small children come and interrupt us, we're just going to go with it because that's life <laughs> in our <laughs> lives right now. I think what, what do we have a total of six children under 11? Yep. Yeah, so that's, you know, my, my mother is a very lucky person. So anyway, so with that, Charlie, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I don't know if you want to start with anything, but... Thank you for inviting me. Um, no, I think uh, my, my experience is I, I've, I've worked uh, for GE. I worked for GE for, uh, between Druck and GE, 19 years. Uh, GE built a culture uh, around lean manufacturing. So I've done, um, I don't have a green belt, but I did the green belt training and took the test. Um, and I've been, I've had a number of different roles in supply chain. I've been a planner and master scheduler now for, gosh, nine years. So I think I've got a pretty deep understanding of, especially transactional lean, how you can apply lean in transactional paper or computer-based processes. Uh, but also uh, working in purchasing and planning, you have to know how the manufacturing floor works and how you can support them. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, I, that's been what I that's been my experience. Um, you know, a lot of lean training, a lot of practical application of lean uh, in production, and. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's all about continuous improvement. Just uh, trying to find what's the next thing you're going to work on to improve. Uh. So, in terms of you know, I want to ask you a question about how you would define a lean culture and what that means to you, both in a sort of a broader, you know, forest sense, and then yep. in an everyday sense, what does it mean yep. to have a lean culture? So I think having a lean culture uh, first involves training. Um, it, lean is, is a set of tools uh, that have to be taught. Nobody comes into the professional world knowing lean. So, um, so it begins with culture. It begins with a commitment from leadership that you're going to be lean and there's there's it's not something that you can just hire a consultant to come in for three weeks and they will um 
you know, transform your factory, go away in a puff of magic smoke, and you're lean. It, um, it involves commitment from leadership. It involves uh, training everybody in the organization. I really believe that. Um, you know, even at GE, which had a very strong lean culture, it was really the manufacturing and operations and all the, all the organizations that were directly involved or directly supported manufacturing that, that were really trained in lean. But other operations like, that could have benefited from it, um, like human resources and finance, they were not trained in lean. And I, and I always uh, saw that as an opportunity that GE could have used because I would get into conversations with finance folks and we really couldn't speak the same language. You know, I had a lot of difficulty telling them, for example, why uh, annual physical inventories actually created more inventory discrepancies than they fixed. Um, and, and it's... And, and I, I would talk with them about things like that. And, and you know, it, it, it was harder to talk to other organizations because they hadn't been trained in lean concepts. So we didn't have a common vocabulary or a common understanding of waste and uh, what the ultimate goals of the organization were. So, um, so I think having a lean culture, um, it's about investing in your people, um, about bringing everybody to to use the same language using the same tools um it's one of the most important concepts of lean is the operators the people actually doing the work in manufacturing that's usually assembly and test and calibration um in food uh manufacturing it's about the people actually touching the food um and and creating the food they have to be brought in because they know what's happening. Managers don't really know what's happening to the to the degree of of detail and and across time that operators do. They really, you know, the operators live it. The 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 managers can manage it. Um, so you have to bring your employees. You have to get them trained up. Bring them. Um, bring them into your lean events because your best ideas are always going to come from your operators. Now, they'll be guided and coached by managers who have the time to go into more lean training, but um, it's, it, it's, it, it's crucial that everybody in the organization is trained and understands and is really aligned on the, on the same goal that we're going to be a lean, uh, lean operation that, um, we understand that lean is a journey. You're never just lean. You, um, you know, there's degrees of maturity in operations, but, um, the ultimate goal is perfection and you're never going to reach it, but you, you know, the, the continuous improvement or Kaizen is, is, core to lean and and that just means we're we're going to continue always look for ways to improve things and we're always going to try new things and we're never going to let um what we did yesterday be an argument for doing the same thing tomorrow um you you always look for ways to improve your organization 
And um, so uh, doing that, rewarding people for coming up with the, uh, these ideas, figuring out, you know, how to, uh, you know, make their changes visible. I've seen organizations uh, really put that to great effect. You know, um, you have a lean wall and you, and you put up their big wins or you publish it in the company newsletter. Um, one of the one of the ways that um, lean has put, uh, you know, really, truly, completely lean organizations have done it in Japan at, for example, Toyota is um, HR has the commitment that if you lean yourself out of a job, and ultimately that can happen, right? Because you 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 start with an organization that requires more people than it ultimately should need because it's inefficient. If you lean yourself out of a job, HR has a commitment that they will find you another job, that's either within the organization or outside the organization. And that's that's how HR, you know, really contributes to the lean culture because there is a, um, a natural... Um, a conflict of interest between tension. yeah tension between the operators and management in that sense that you know why improve this process so much that I don't have something to do tomorrow I've literally heard that yeah. from clients right so I think the two answers are the best answer is you you really get HR involved and um, and really have that commitment and you staff up HR to do that and then uh, the other is if you really think you can grow your business lean gives you the opportunity to grow the size of the business without increasing your headcount because you get more efficient and you're able to produce more things with the same amount of people and i have seen that work sure sure and you know it's interesting that we that we talk what you're talking about so i'm sure y'all have heard in 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 what charlie is saying the things that i tell you here on the podcast because we manufacture food for a living and yeah are there certain things that that you have to worry about yes but i guarantee you in the stuff that my brother was manufacturing at ge they had to do that right as well or people died <laughs> yeah yeah the products we were making um they they contained pressure and if they failed would literally become bombs so. Right. And so it's not so, you know, I think in food manufacturing, especially in local food manufacturing, we say we're not like the other people. We're not we're we're special. We're not like the other people. And and I have a precautionary tale about that, because when I was in the army and I was in Medcom, I heard we're not the real army all the time. And that was to our detriment. That was to the detriment of MedCom, which I think if you look at the at, at some of the things that happened while I was in the service, <laughs> like what happened at Walter Reed in the in the in uh, what was it oh seven oh eight oh nine, us holding ourselves back from saying we're not part of the real army. I think food holding itself back from the conversation about manufacturing is to our detriment. And I really feel like having been to where my brother works and to other manufacturing plants and things like that, um, we are at least a generation behind in this conversation in food in many instances. Yeah, and I, and I would say um, the type of manufacturing that's done in food is, is uh, we would call process manufacturing. Um, and I'd say it's even more difficult than the kinds of things I do. The, the things I do, we're working with discrete widgets. 
and sure. um, mm-hmm. most of the time, you know, we we know you use three screws and you know three washers and three bolts and one bracket and and um, you know we know we can produce a set number of pieces per hour or per minute, um, but. Uh, food manufacturing, you're you're dealing with ounces and and grams and uh, and and food of and, different size. Yes, you can't you can't grow uniform tomatoes, and in right. local food, we don't want uniform tomatoes. Right. You know, so our dev our definition of quality, and of course, quality means conformance to specification. Mm-hmm. But our definition of quality, like a quality tomato for the salad that you're creating, those tomatoes may be very well different sizes. Right. Because you have a different set of specifications and uniformity of size is not one of them. Right. Right. Where it very much is in my world. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that this idea around continuous process improvement that we are never, we are never done. And so I think jumping off from that point, I'd love for you to talk about some of the ways that we have talked about about how food manufacturers can start their lean journey. Some super simple things um, that are the basis of lean that are actionable, I guess, like right now. Right. So there are are two major concepts about lean um, that anybody with with some very minimal research or reading can start start with. First is 5S, uh, and 5S is a set of tools that are used to organize and clean your workspace. And then um, the the second concept is the seven deadly wastes. So um, let me talk about 5S first, because 5S, um, so there are five Japanese words that start with S. One one thing to recognize in Lean, everything started in Japan, um, and especially with Toyota. So um, we we uh, learned through Edward Deming, um, who was an American, by the way. <laughs> yes, but but realized that American in the fifties and sixties, American manufacturers were not open to this conversation. So he went and lived in Japan and learned from them. <coughs> um, so, uh, but the five S's have been translated into English as uh, the first S is sort. So let me let me just run through the five and then I'll go into each one. There's sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. So, sort, sorting is is really about determining what's needed and what's not uh, in. A workspace that has never experienced 5S, uh, the first thing you're going to see is that you've got a lot of stuff in front of you, okay? And that stuff could be tools, it could be um, materials that you use, like in in the food world, I think that would be ingredients. Um, Piling or, all the ingredients you have, yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, right on right on the counter. Um, it could be uh, personal items. Okay, um, and so the first thing is just look at everything that's on the counter and decide, do I need this to do the job I'm doing right now? Okay, um, and then really taking an inventory of everything that's on the workbench and saying, when's the last time I used this? How frequently do I use this? 
Okay, if I use this every day, it belongs on the bench. If I use it once every three weeks, it doesn't belong on the bench. It belongs in a cabinet, say, on the other side of the room. So it's about um, sorting things mostly by frequency of use. And do I re need it right now? You know, so if um, you were talking about tomatoes, you know, if you're making something that requires five tomatoes, you know, do I have a big honking bin of tomatoes on on the uh, on the workbench? You know, maybe I don't need 45 tomatoes. You know, I just need the five that I'm going to work on. Um, so I think that translating some of that, because, you know, we don't work on workbenches. We have we have conveyor belts in front of us and we okay. have pick lines and we have, um, I mean, but we do have tables, you know, and the number of the number of cutting rooms I have gone into and every possible utensil we could ever possibly use yeah. is stored in there probably rusting because <laughs> right. we have to wash them every day yes you know i mean yes. i think that i one of the things that i encourage people and I, this may be coming up in the, some of the other five s's is to look at the amount of shelving you have yes because as our dad used to say <laughs> he, he would say crap expands to fill the available space <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i know some of you have heard me say that in your factories <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, I got a little bit into the second S, which is set in order. And that's, that's organizing things by the flow of work. So if you have, if you have a three-step operation and you use tool A in step one and tool B in step two and tool C in step three, really put those in the order that you're going to use them. So I would think if, if, you know, food is moving you, moving through your workstation on a conveyor belt, you know, you, you would set those from right to left or left to right, how, however they go. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why that's important when we get to the, the wastes. Right. Um, so the third one, which probably is, is not um, uh, new to anybody in the food world, is shine. And shining is literally about cleaning. Okay. Um, and, it, and it's about... Um, sweeping the floors and wiping down your workspace and um, so in, in my world um, um, now I'm I'm in FDA manufacturing too I, I, I work for a company that makes um, uh, devices used in surgery so it's even more important now um, but it's it's really about making your workplace presentable um, the, the last plan I worked in, we wanted to be tour ready 100% of the time, which meant at the end of every shift, we were putting everything back. We were reorganizing, we were sweeping, mm -hmm. we were emptying the trash, we were making sure that uh, nothing had crept into the aisleways, um, that everything had a home. Right. Um, and shine is, is really important. In the food world, obviously, you have foodborne pathogens that you have to worry about. You have very strict requirements uh, about cleanliness to make sure that you're not poisoning your customers. Um, right. But it's but it's also important to everybody who works in the factory, because or, or or the workspace because coming in in the morning to a clean organized place really helps everybody. I mean, for one, it it just looks better. It feels like a well run operation, um, and. 
when you're working, if you know where all your tools are and you know they're going to be there when you reach for them, it's just easier. You know, you don't have to stop what you're going doing and go find it, you know, which um, which increases delay, you, you know, lowers your throughput, um, makes you frustrated. Um, it's just easier to work in in a, a 5S environment. Um, and so for, I think for us, in terms of shine, you know, I, I talk a lot um, with all my ready-to-eat manufacturers about Listeria and making sure that you are cleaning to your manufacturer's instructions, okay, which means that your soap has to stay on your food contact surfaces and in your drains and things like that for 7 to 12 minutes. You know, I mean, that is, that is a metric that you can observe yep. about whether or not you're meeting the S of shine. And, yep. if, and if you're not, you really truly are in a ready-to-eat environment increasing your risk of listeria by not five, following your 5S principles. So the fourth S, and we talked a little about this, about shelving, is standardize. Um, so standardize is about uh, providing uh, standard work. So you have work instructions for everything that you do. Uh, for example, in your cleaning, you know, the I think it was five to seven minutes. That, seven to 12. <laughs> seven to 12, sorry. Seven to 12 minutes that the soap has to stay in contact with the surfaces. You write that down. Um, and you make sure people are trained to it and that they have the work instructions available to them when they're doing the work. Um, and then uh, visual control. So... Um, we were talking about shelving, okay, and um, and and yeah, it really hits home when you're talking about having to clean all your tools every day. Um, so if you're not using your tools that day, they should be, you know, not out on the line, so they have to be cleaned. Um, so using, you know, using having only the tools you're going to use. Uh, the classic example is a is a, a carpenter's tool, not a carpenter's toolbox, but you get um, one of these big red um, oh, sure. toolboxes the... with every wrench of every size you'll possibly ever need in your career. And it's all very well organized. They're laid out by, uh, by sizes and they have rows and, you know, places where every, every tool fits. And, and the question is, is that 5S? And the answer is no, it's not. Because it's got everything there. Okay, so uh, in a in a real five S uh, environment, in a mature five S environment, you would you wouldn't have that big craftsman toolbox. You would have on either the bench in front of you or the shelves. Um, you would have those tools, only the tools that you need. So if you need a three millimeter wrench and not a five millimeter wrench, you'd have you'd have a space for the three millimeter wrench. Now, in the manufacturing world, we like to use foam cutouts. And you literally get a block of foam and you cut out the shape of the tool. And then you uh, you get a label maker and you write the name of the tool and you put it right above the cutout. And it works really well because the tool has a home to go back to. So when you're done with the wrench, you put it back in its foam cutout. Right. And in our house, we say everybody knows where the forks go. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and so... When the, and when that cutout is empty, you know the tool is missing. Okay, right. mm -hmm. so you're, you, um, and and so what you do when you sort 
and when you set an order is you decide which tools are truly needed every day in that um, at that workstation and then in standardize you um, you you organize them in the workstation by where they're where they're going to be used and they have a specific home and you only keep the tools you actually use um, now um, lots of lots of places have I, I would call them variable workstations like you do one thing one day um, sure or one shift and then a second thing the other shift and what you can create are um, are tool sets that are designed for each operation oh right right, right? okay so today we're grinding yes. and we're gonna use this yes in this in this section and instead of you know we're tumbling over here or mm -hmm. what or whatever and so you're using the word tools because you that's guys, what I know yeah. you literally use tools but we're talking about utensils so knives yes. spoons ladles beaters all that sort of, you know, I mean, you go to a cook station and there's every possible thing you could ever possibly need right. to make something right there in front of you. And no wonder you lose everything because you have no idea what's in front of you. <laughs> right, right. So if if you can get it down to just those tools you need, um, you, um, but then you can, you know, you can have different tool sets. So you, you change over the, so when you change over um, the workstation, from one operation to another, we call that line clearance in the medical world, um, where you you take all the tools off the line, you take all the components off the line. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you reset the line for the next thing you're gonna do. Right. Right. No, that's that's totally different. Like yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the same. You know, like if you're if you're cutting down a, a beef carcass you know, you're going to clean in between the beef carcass and the, right. and, and, and the pork carcass. Or right. if you're making your value added stuff that day, you will have cleaned out all of your raw production. Right. So it's not different. No, no. So your, uh, your clients and, and listeners are probably already doing a lot of these things. Um, um, and then, um, the, the fifth S is sustain. Um, and this is the one that's toughest for most organizations to do is sustain it. I've, I've seen, um, even in uh, mature plants, you know, we'll do a 5S event and we'll get through the first four S's. And then six weeks later, we're back to our bad old habits because we didn't put enough effort into the fifth S, which is sustain. So in sustaining, uh, the, uh, the tools around sustaining are uh, training. So really make sure everybody is trained on 5S and they understand why they're doing this and why it's important and what the available tools are and why we're putting in visual controls and why that's important. Um, and then um, setting up audits. Audits are really important. And, and I've learned this in my latest plant. Um, it's a way to get um, other organizations involved to get fresh eyes so um, like in my plant we literally assign audits to the finance manager the finance manager has to come out once a week and audit a work cell for 5s <laughs> okay and we have a standardized checklist that they're given you know so it's you know there's things like do all tools have a home are they labeled you know um, is is all inventory in an appropriately labeled bin or space on the floor a marked space on the floor um, is the garbage can empty um, things like that 
Um, but it's it's important to bring uh, just organizationally, it gets them involved in 5S. They have to learn then, you know, if you're going to audit 5S, you have to understand 5S. Um, and um, it makes it not just a manufacturing thing. That's that's the big danger of 5S and Lean is it's manufacturing's thing and it's what they do. But, right, but finance could probably use, you know, 5Sing of their own their own I, Every workspace. finance workspace <laughs> I've ever walked through could use, could use 5S, but not just, and, and this is critical, not just in physically, yeah, there's paper everywhere, okay? And they've got, they've got stacks and stacks of boxes with files and file cabinets, you know, lining the wall. But um, not just that, but also when you start thinking about transactional lean, all these processes, all these tools, sorry, can be applied to virtual processes as well. So, you know, I'm and, not going to lie. I think of I think of that when I open up my Kartra system and I've got all of these web pages and they're all sitting essentially they're on the desktop. Yes. Literally, I see this every every time I look at, at um, not every time, but on, on a lot of people's computer desktops. Sure. They're filled with icons. Sure. You know, how do you know which one? How do you find the one that you only use once every other week? You know, where do you where do you go for look at to look at that? And I and it may only take you 15 seconds or a minute to go find it, but that's a minute lost. And okay. that's emotional energy looking for something yeah. that could be applied to doing your next best revenue generating action. Right, right. And then um, if you think about how you process information, you know, there, um, all these things. Do I have the information I need at the time that I'm asked to do the task? Well, if I don't, and now we're really starting to get into lean, um, you know, now I'm going back and asking for something else. So, the the and and it and it it is completely analogous to this recipe calls for tomatoes. Do I have the tomatoes when I'm ready to work? If I don't, well now I've got to go back to the refrigerator and get them. Right. So, um, so um, so it's it's really critical that um, you develop a culture and um. We talked about reading lists. Well, here here's an item for the reading list. Um, it's called, uh, the, the book is titled Creating a Lean Culture. And I did not write down the author in my notes. Fantastic. <laughs> but that's the name of the book. If you Google Creating a Lean Culture, you will find it. And we will put that in the show notes. And what I'd like to do, because we have, um, we have kids knocking down the door here and we've got stuff to do, but I'm going to have a listener challenge so here's what we're gonna do is that over the course of the summer i think we should all read this book all right and i'm gonna have we're gonna have discussions on it over on the over on the facebook page but i challenge you to read this book so my brother and i are gonna read this book we're probably gonna record some more conversations because i'm lucky enough to live pretty close to my brother and plus we can do it electronically if we need to uh and reading this book so give us the title again creating a lean culture creating a lean culture and we will put a link to that in the show notes okay and we're going to do this as a, as a read-along, and we will come back to you with more conversations because 5S is really the very first part of the conversation. And while I did 
in, in, in a previous episode, talk about what the eight wastes of lean are, or the seven wastes of lean plus the, you know, like the human resources waste that we talk about mm-hmm. as the eighth waste. Well, there's really way more that we can we can dive into, but we're going to leave it here for right now because this is plenty for one episode. <laughs> Thank you so much, Charlie, for coming and sharing this deep depth of knowledge that you have. My pleasure. And we look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Have a beautiful week. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.